What's up, witches? Welcome to season two of the Better Witch Podcast, presented by the Modern Witch Network. I'm your host, Allie, aka Bronx Witch. I'm a tarot reader, Reiki master, and owner of Bronx Witch Headquarters, a spiritual shop and workshare space in the Bronx, New York. And I'm going to be coming to you every week with a new topic and a new guest co host to talk about our real life experiences as witches. Because when we know better, we witch better. Today's guest co-host is Alwyn Dawn. Alwyn is a high priestess and the author of two books, the COVR award-winning Paganism for Prisoners and the recently released Paganism on Parole. She has been a guest on a dozen podcasts, hosted writing workshops in two countries, and is currently earning her MFA in creative writing in London. You can find Alwyn on Instagram and Twitter as at Alwyn Dawn and on her website, alwyndawn.com. a second ago um, about the limitations that are experienced by those who are incarcerated. Um, and obviously your books are aimed towards that audience, um, giving them tips and insights both on what the benefits of a pagan lifestyle might be while being incarcerated and then how to go about it given the physical limitations that you might experience. So I was hoping you could start... Um, uh, there by telling us a little bit about why paganism called to you and how you think it helped you through um, just being incarcerated in the first first place. Because I know you talk a lot about the guidance and the peace that it brought you, and I'm hoping you can share that with people who are wondering, like, why, why you know, if, if I'm imprisoned in some way, why paganism in the first place? Well, so... I was always pagan, like even before I knew what it was called, you know, I was that little kid in Sunday school asking the questions that they didn't like, like, oh, if, you know, we're made in the Me image too. of God, then, you know, <laughs> how come men don't have babies, you know, right, and um, right. they really didn't appreciate those questions. So, but it was, it was a really long time before, like, I knew that there was a term for it. I just thought I was like the one sole person on the planet who was like, hey, what happened to the Greek gods? Like, where did they go? And, um... So when I was in prison, I already kind of like, um, I'd had like a quick dip, you know, into paganism. And uh, what I really found is that it gave me a sense of peace being able to directly connect to the gods and goddesses. You know, they're there. You know, we we think of gods and goddesses as being, you know, they're in that tree and they're in that river and they're in that hill. And they they certainly are there. But they're in the prisons too, you know, and mm -hmm. being able to do something that was genuine because um, like I, I was in treatment before I went to, um, to prison and they always tried to get me to go to church and they're like, just come to church, just come to, you can stop by the store if you go to church. Like, don't you want to go to, don't, don't you want to like go the for bribes, <laughs> the bribes and it just, it never felt genuine. Like I always felt like it would be a betrayal to everything I was. Mm. And um, 
you know, when I was inside, like you have time to read, like reading is a big habit. Like books are so important to send into prisons because it's really, you have that or the same six TV shows over and over and over. And, um, I, the light, the, uh, prison I was at in Colorado has books on paganism, on witchcraft, you know, not, you know, um, not hundreds, but more than a couple. And so I sat there and I read and there were things I would read, you know, um, just about personal accountability Mm -hmm. What was a big one. And that we don't face judgment at the end of our life. And like, you know, we face consequences now. And that just made a lot more sense because I never believed that like, oh, we're just, we're stocking up. And then at the end, you know, there's going to be one final destination. It it never, it never made sense to me. But what did make sense was it was the science. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a very sciencey person, Um, not math, but science. And, (laughs) and so the science that goes with it, you know, we see the cycle of seasons. So it makes reincarnation makes sense to me because we see it. Energy and us being energetic makes sense because physics tells us that energy is the basis of everything. And so I'm like this, it just felt more natural. Like, Mm. um, and and I come from a Southern Baptist family, Um, you know, grandma, big church dinners on Sunday, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and all that. And it's, it just never rang true. Yeah. Just, well, I, I'm glad that you mentioned the um, the science aspect because we were just talking to Najah Lightfoot, um, who is the I author of her. Yes, is the author of so The great. Juju and Powerful Juju, and we were having a chat with her, um, and we we ran off on a rant for a second because we were like, witches believe in science. We were like, yes. we have this misconception that people have that witches are not scientific, that we're all like woo woo nonsense of, and it's like no, actually, um, our practices, our belief systems, there's really very little, if anything, that I have ever heard a witch said that is not um, backed by science or is becoming to be backed by science, you know, or that is at least uh, theoretically possible according to like scientific principles. And so um, the idea that witchcraft is something outside of science is is really not true i think for most witches we would say we're we're very fairly scientific in how we do things and i think that a lot of witches are very empirical in how they do things meaning that they you know we experiment we try these things mm-hmm. and we actually look for results and um if they aren't there then we go, uh, you know, off to something else and try something else. But witches are very much looking for results in their lives. So um, I'm really glad that that following down that path more seriously when you were uh, locked up allowed you to have that experience of like, let me try this, let me see results in my life. And then lo and behold, results in your life. And I think it has a lot to do with what you said at the beginning, which was that God is in the prisons too. Um, and pagans, I think what unites all of us is that we're coming from a place where we see and understand that God is in everything because we understand that energy, that everything is energy. And, um, that is a scientifically established fact. And we just sort of extrapolate from that, that if, if everything is energy, um, 
and we associate that energy with names like God, then that would mean that that God is in everything, including in prison. Yeah, including in us. And I feel like that's a message um, that maybe other faiths or, or other practices don't, they don't emphasize as much. They don't encourage people to find God in themselves and find God in their cell, find God, you know, in the yard or wherever they may be. Um, it's, it's always like a, oh, come to church and you will find God there. Come to this leader and you will find God there. Um, and I think Which that's a big difference. Actually, yeah, and it doesn't actually make sense because if they believe that God is omnipotent and omnipresent, then by definition, yeah. God has to be within you and within that cell. Yeah, that never that that never made made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, one of the things that um, I wanted to talk about, uh, we talked a little bit, and I don't know if this, if that part of our conversation will make it into the final episode, but we talked about having to purchase your own products, um, feminine products and things of that nature while you're uh, incarcerated and um, having a lot of things not be provided that the, you know, uh, non-incarcerated public would probably assume were provided. But I also wanted to talk a little bit, because I feel like it's important we educate people. This is Better Witch. We're trying to know more and therefore make better choices. Um, I think it's important that we make sure that people understand why stuff like that is so difficult and why it is um that uh, prisoners have access to such little money because aside from the limited of you know resources and classes and education and all that stuff I did not know um, that prisoners have jobs mm -hmm. yeah. often when incarcerated um, can you tell us a little bit about the the job situation when you are locked up because I think people would be surprised to find out exactly how that works yeah so um it's a little different in jails but in prison everybody has a job you're not allowed to not have a job okay. and there are jobs that get assigned and sometimes they're based on your skills and sometimes they're not um so the kitchen is a big one um going cooking food scrubbing out big pans, you know, cooking for the entire prison system, um, porters who are the people who clean the cells. Um, my job was farm crew. They don't have that at all the prisons, but at mine, they loaded us up and we went and worked in big industrial fields, um, you know, and like hoisted pumpkins into trucks and it was grueling manual labor. And, um, that was actually one of the better paying jobs. We would get like a dollar a day. Um, you know, during harvest, it might go up to like two or two fifty a day, um, but most people make like thirty cents a day, and some of those jobs are like three days a week. So you're th like ninety cents a week. That's you know under four bucks a month, and you have to buy. You know, if you want decent shampoo, you have to buy it. If you want tampons, you have to buy it. If you want food that's not one of the three squares that you're offered, you have to buy it. And um, something to remember is not everybody has people putting money on their books. And mm -hmm. for those who aren't familiar, that just means people on the outside send money into the prison. The prison takes a percentage, of course, and um, then you get the rest to spend on your things. Now, not only, like some people just don't like to ask, you know, um, yeah. and some people don't have people to ask. 
Um, and so if you have one of these jobs and you're trying to buy all these things for, you know, $4 a month, um, it, it quickly, it quickly adds up. And, um, yeah, like some of the other jobs, um, and we are starting to see like, like some more training programs take place of jobs. Like uh, cosmetology was big when I was in prison. Mm -hmm. And that's a cosmetology license that when women get out, they can actually use that in the real world, you know? Right. So if that's something they want to do. And GD classes. And um, it went down a little bit during COVID, but um, um, uh, college classes would sometimes be, be offered and, and those would count for credit. So. Um, you know, there are things like that, too, but nobody's allowed to just sit and not do anything in prison. Like, mm -hmm. they don't. Um, and that's actually a good thing. Like, even though they don't pay enough for the jobs that are done, right, it's good right. that everybody is doing something because yeah. sitting on yourself for lockdown is the worst thing. I so. can imagine. I can imagine that that would be hard on your physical health, on your mental health, mm -hmm. um, and all of that. So there, there is that, uh, you know, element to be grateful for. But um, that is something that I think is hard for many people to even imagine that you're working, you know, grueling labor sometimes mm -hmm. throughout the week, you're maybe making a dollar a week, you know, if if you're lucky. Um, and then you've got to pay five, six dollars for a pack of tampons or, you know, five dollars for a bottle of shampoo um, that that people I can imagine can see how the math is upside down on that. Um, and that puts you at an incredible disadvantage um, for anything. So uh, if you are uh, incarcerated and you have such limited access to, and by the way, I just want to say private companies and government agencies contract out prison labor to get things yeah. done. Big ass companies like McDonald's, um, I don't know if they're still doing this, but I know that when I was in college, this was something that I learned. The big companies like McDonald's will contract out prisoner labor to like put together their Happy Meal boxes and things like that. So like, let's just wrap our minds around the idea of like a billion dollar company that could afford to pay people minimum wage and give them benefits and all that stuff. Instead pays people 30 cents a day um, who are incarcerated to make those things. That does not seem like a far cry from like sharecropping, quite frankly. Right. Um, and so when people say things like slavery still exists um, uh, and things like that in this country, like that's what that's the type of stuff that they're talking about because exactly. to me it seems very very wrong like something about that seems very very wrong um that a private company or even government agencies uh can pay people pennies essentially uh to do work that that they would normally have to pay someone a minimum wage for and the only difference between these two people you know is one is incarcerated and one is not um that seems really fucked up uh, so I just wanted to mention that to people like yeah. that, that like when, when we talk about that, it's my impression growing up was like, first of all, I thought prisons were all owned by the government. They're not. Many of them are privately owned and someone's making personal private profit and money off of these prisons, which means of course you're going to spend as little as possible to keep it right. running and to care for people and want to have as many people inside as possible, which means you're mm -hmm. going to support 
uh, heavy and aggressive legislation on crime that often affects marginalized and poor communities, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you see how these things like all add up um, to perpetuating the system that keeps people going back into jail um, and just keeps feeding feeding monster. So, but growing up, I always thought that well, when you go to prison, you go to the government. <laughs> the government takes you, not not necessarily the case. Um, and I was definitely under the impression that if you were working, you were being paid, um, like the minimum wage at least. Um, so it, I just want to make sure that people know that about our prison system, because we can make a difference. Um, and we can change those circumstances. Those of us who are, uh, you know, not incarcerated and can vote, can make our voices heard to politicians, et cetera, to change that system because prison exists for a reason, certainly, but it doesn't but, have to operate that way. Like, well, and the, the, you touched on something interesting because they're designed to keep people going back in. Right. Like, isn't that obvious? Like if I'm paying somebody a dollar a week and they still have to survive while they're inside, what hope do they have of accumulating the resources they need to to not come back, to be able to get housing, to be able to afford clothing and food and all that stuff when they get out? Don't even get me started on housing because a lot of places won't rent to felons. Like you can't even get in. When when I was looking for housing, first I stayed with, with a friend's family member and I was super grateful for that. Um, but when it came time to get my own housing, um, I had to look for private, privately owned, small little places because big apartment complexes will be like, no, absolutely not. Even if it, even if it's years and years old, they don't care. And so that right there, like, how are you supposed to find a place to live? And, and jobs, for example, they, they give you what's called a felon friendly hire list, but most of those employers don't actually know they're on the felon friendly hire list. Mm. And, um, you know, there are jobs that like, even if you have, um, even if you have education, even if you have, um, you know, a background, like I knew a woman inside who was an accountant before she got arrested. She can never work with numbers again, ever, mm. you know? So she has to go to the, the McDonald's jobs and the, the waitressing jobs and the, and the retail jobs, which tend to pay less. And so, you know, it's a lot easier when you're on parole to be like, you know, I was making a lot of money doing X, Y, and Z. You know, I could just do that again because I'm working two jobs trying to support my kids, still have to go to meetings with my parole officer, still have to, you know, pay for housing and food, and which is not mm. getting any less expensive. And, right. uh, you know, it, it's easier to go mm. back to prison than to stay out. And yeah. that's sad. That is. That is. And it's, it's sad, but it's also infuriating because it feels intentional. It feels very intentional. If people are making money off of having bodies in their prisons, what incentive would they have to advocate for uh, for better resources so that people don't come back? That's their, that's their money. That's their bottom line is having people in those cells. So uh, to think that it would be anything else is kind of silly. We have to change that whole structure. Um, I, I want to... Uh, let me stop... 
bumming everybody out, you guys. There's there's a, there's a silver lining here because <laughs> we're going to talk about all of the 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 good. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. um, all of the sunshine, all of the light, all of the ways in which pagan practices can be um, incorporated into your lifestyle, even if you find yourself in this situation. So we, you know, the the financial situation is very difficult. How did you, or how might someone who is incarcerated go about finding tools, um, resources? to educate themselves or continue with their practice you talked a little bit about having access to books um Mm -hmm. uh, you know does the prison population have access to books on paganism or candles in the commissary store or like how how would somebody locked up maybe learn more or pursue a pagan lifestyle well so you have to keep in mind that this changes by state okay? okay what is allowed in texas and what is allowed in you know colorado or washington state uh, or, you know, California some is completely different. Um, you know, I've had people write to me and tell me that their pagan books just disappear um, from the library. Nobody knows what happens to them. Um, so um, I'm working with, um, there, there's a lot of nonprofit organizations that do prison ministry. There's um, the Appalachian um pagan ministry there's um circle sanctuary there's a few others i don't remember off the top of my head um but they work to get books in and not just my books although you know um, my books are good books to have in prisons but they, they work on that and um um a lot of them also take in classes like meditation classes how to chant um we need volunteers that's the thing is it's always about people who are willing to go in and do the work because it's not it's not the most rewarding um, financially, um, but seeing light bulbs go off when people hear something that's really going to hit their soul and resonate with them is you can't put that into words. And so um, that would be the first thing is to contribute to these organizations. If you have any skills, like it doesn't have to be just for pagans. You can be like, you know, maybe once a month, I'm going to take a guided meditation into prison. Like that would mean the world to the people in there. Um, And and a lot of them have never had anybody care enough to provide them a service without wanting something in return. Um, For people who are locked up, like I do want to emphasize. So in Colorado, we were able to buy like, you know, a small chalice and a wand, which was basically, you know, a cut stick. Technically it's a wand. They weren't great tools, but they were tools, but we have all the tools we need within us. You know, we've got our chalice with our cupped hands. We've got our wand. We've got our athame, you know, and the tools are pageantry. Like magic comes from within. You can have all the tools in the world. And if you're not, um, if you're not calling that magic from within, your your spell's not going to be effective. So, um, and I also do want to touch on the most, what, what I feel is one of the most important aspects of magic, like paganism and magic, they're about change. Like mm-hmm. we have this unique ability within the, the pagan face um, and the magical communities to work on self mm. and that nobody can take away. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're doing double life or if you've never seen a prison cell, you can choose to work on yourself. You Mm -hmm. can choose to improve. You can choose to do the next right thing. You can choose to hold up that mirror and look at the dark side and the light side of yourself. And, you know, um, 
this is something that I always encouraged when I was teaching in prisons was for for them to have this honest ability to look at ourselves because we we like to think like only the best or only the worst Mm -hmm. but we all have both qualities Mm -hmm. you know and they make us as a whole person and until you acknowledge that you can't change that so yeah that's um that's kind of went off on a tangent but no i love that (laughs) (laughs) i love that because i think it's important uh both are important like it's great that you have access to the tools that there were some things provided or things that you could obtain um but that is also important to remind people that like you said the the greatest tool is within us we already have everything that we need um you know we are the altar we are all of the tools on top of it we are all of those things just um by ourselves um but a little more on the tools specifically. So you had access to a chalice and a wand um, and some basic amenities um, that could be used. Was that made known to you or did you have to ask around or is there a list provided of like religious items that folks can have? How did you even know that there were these tools available to you? Well, and, and so we also had a candle. We just couldn't light it. Um, oh, okay. no, so it was provided like a, they would have um, like a faith-based commissary list. So you would see there were um, items for Judaism. There were um, items for Catholicism. Like you could order crosses and you could also order um, your chalice and you could order several types of herbs that you you couldn't burn, but you could get them. Um, I forget what else they had on there specifically, but there were about 10 or 15 items um, that you could get. And it was just something when the commissary list came out, it was there. Um, not all prisons do that. Um, unfortunately, they all should, and they should all let people have access to items. Like, I, I understand why they're not going to let people have an athame in prison or a sword. That, that one kind of makes sense. But right, right. Um, like a lot of the other tools, there's no reason to not let somebody have a wand. Like, it can be a little wand, um, you know, and if it makes somebody feel closer connected to their faith that's a good thing. And um, we had, so we were actually allowed to gather for full moons, not Sabbaths, which I find weird, but we were allowed to gather for full moons. And, um, but only if there were two of us and we would have like a little property box um, that stayed in a closet and we got to pull it out and there would be like, there was like a deck of tarot cards that had been donated and there was a candle Um, that had been lit but we were no longer allowed to light it was like partially melted down and um, there were um, I think there was like a mirror in there and there were just some things you know that had been donated throughout the community and um, yeah these were these were kind of made known Um, especially the property list. I think I had to ask around for the property box. Um, But when they started seeing that I wasn't there to cause trouble and that I was just, you know, trying to do my time and things like that, um, they became more open. Some of the staff were more willing than others. Like that, that's the other tricky part is in order to meet for the full moon, you have to have a staff member who's willing to stand outside the door. And um, not everybody's willing to do that, you know? So it was kind of hit or miss at least where I was, people were either very accepting anything you can do, no matter what your spirituality is, if it's going to make you be a better person, we're all for it. And then on the other hand, you know, we're like, 
oh yeah, no, I can't because I've got to make rounds. And um, I even found, um, <laughs> I actually found more discrimination once I became a chaplain in DOC than when I was an inmate there. Um, I applied really? for, yeah, I applied for mm. full chaplaincy and they, my paperwork accidentally got messed up, you know, and I would have had to gone through the process all over again. And um, a couple of the chaplains um, that were also getting training as soon as I said I was a pagan chaplain would no longer talk to me. So it, mm. I actually found more of it trying to be a volunteer and go in and help these women um, than I did when I was locked up. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that the environment around you really makes a big difference. Um because you're not necessarily going to always find yourself with guards or with, uh, you know, directors in the prisons that are um, open and accepting. And especially when you're talking about private prisons, um, they probably have a different set of standards than, let's say, state-run prisons in terms of making these things uh, available. I'm sure they get a little bit more freedom to deny things and, and not provide them because they're not, you know, the state. Um, so, you know, that because that's something to consider. One of my my friend who's incarcerated mentioned that uh, there is a gentleman uh, also locked up with him um, that uh, identifies as Wiccan and the guards basically just tease him all the time. Um, and he has, he has access to some books and some basic things. Uh, but my friend was a little bit like cautious, understandably to like align himself, even though he's interested in paganism as well. Um, just because he's like, I don't, I don't need the harassment from yeah. the guards. And like that, that's a reality that people have to, um, to struggle through. Um, I think one of the others is getting close to nature. Um, in your book, um, Paganism for Prisoners, Christopher Penzak mentions uh, in the foreword about, you know, his experience going into the prisons and ministering to people or just sharing the pagan path with folks um, and taking some of the, the gentlemen out and uh, having them like be barefoot outside. And one yeah. of them was like, I haven't been barefoot outside in, in 12 years. Um, and just like the, the, the intensity of that and um, wondering how difficult it is or how difficult maybe you found it uh, to connect with nature um, while being locked up. And if folks are in that circumstance right now um, or find themselves there one day, how might um, folks go about connecting with nature in a place where they maybe are not given a lot of outdoor time or the ability to congregate outside? Yeah, that's always a difficult one because um, unless it's a group like Christopher's group, you can't take your shoes off. You're not allowed to be barefoot. Um, and like the, where I was at, there was a yard, but we weren't um, allowed to be on the grass. We could see the grass. We could smell the grass, but we couldn't touch the grass. What? Um, Why? Yeah, it, they, they didn't want people trampling the grass, I guess. Or, you know, but wow. it was you had to stay on the paths um, unless you were like part of the garden crew who got to work in, in the dirt. But um, no, for, for people... Because the first prison I was at, they always start you at one and then like usually move you to another one. And so that one had like no nature. The patches of grass were like, you know, two feet by four feet, you know, just very small. Um, and in situations like that, like I would encourage people to get creative 
if they won't let you have grass, draw grass, create it, um, visualize it, anything you can do. If there's, you know, um, some of the places where they have yards, um, they're really like concrete with mesh over the top. And like, you can almost sometimes see the sun, you know, and it, it's one of the hardest things to do because you're not allowed to touch nature. Um, so pictures of nature, ask friends and family to send you photos of nature. Um, there's always visualizations. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I'm good at visualizing, but maybe seeing isn't your strong sense. So maybe try smelling what trees smell like. Maybe try hearing the sounds of the forest and engaging these other, these other senses. And, you know, it, it's not going to be exactly the same. It's just not. Um, but it's closer, you know, uh, even, even though it comes through, you know, pipes through the city, running your hands under water, cool water is connecting with nature. Anytime you can take a fresh breath of air, really linger on that moment. You know, it's looking for opportunities. Um, and when you see them really just being present in that moment, I think that's one of the things when I was incarcerated, like I learned to value a tomato you know, in ways most yeah. people ne never will. So, right. you know, these are the kinds of things that um, if people want to engage in nature, they're going to have to, they're going to have to do. And let's go to break. This show is part of the Modern Witch Podcast Network. For more shows like it, visit www.modernwitch.com. Yeah, it seems like um, being incarcerated and pursuing a pagan lifestyle sort of, uh, it kind of sends you deep real quick because, you know, you're not, you, you kind of can't be on the surface because you don't have just an abundance of access of everything where you can interact with it in a very sort of trivial way. Like if you are getting to touch dirt, like it's going to be a big deal and you're going to really, uh, pay attention to the way in which you, change in that moment being near a tree or getting to put your feet in the grass it might be something that you don't get to do often and so I feel like there's a really good chance that um, you're going to connect deeply with nature in that moment because you're really tuning in and you're really cherishing um, what you have so it's it's an unfortunate circumstance um, to be incarcerated but in some ways the beauty uh, there might be like how serious you have to take your craft in order to yeah. execute it. Like you can't be half-assing it. Like you're mm -hmm. like, look, I literally, you know, I get five minutes a day outside or I get just pictures of the forest or whatever. Like I am going to take it seriously because it's so much more work just for me to have um, little things. Um, so I, I better be serious about it. It kind of feels like... Um, it opens you up to, to like kind of like discipline almost or like consistency in your path because um, you've got to really put the effort in um, to connect. Maybe a little bit harder than someone who can just, you know, run outside and grab some rainwater. Yeah. Well, and you can't like my first um, few years as a pagan you know, um, we're all about, you know, wearing pentagrams and all black and like, you know, and I think a lot of us go through that phase and that's fine. Yeah. You know, we all take whatever path, but 
like you said, it did force me to really dive in and be like, okay, what does this mean to me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was there, you know, sitting on my bunk, you know, copying, I still have the books that were my first books of shadows, you know, and when I was copying page after page after page after page out of the books I had access to, it was because I was starving, you know, mm -hmm. I was starving for something. And so anything that was going to feed me, I was going to grasp. Yeah. And I don't think we always do that on the outside because there's so many other things. We could just, oh, I want to get fed. I'm going to get. We're being oversaturated. Like people are trying to force things down your throat 24 yeah. 7. Yeah. So when you have time away from that, you've got to feed yourself. And it's like, what's going to really nourish my soul? What's going to really um, uplift me and keep me going through this difficult, you know, time? So it, it's, it's interesting how that. Um, the way in which challenge, I guess, um, it can kind of fine tune you in a way. Like what was that saying about like swords and hard rocks and stuff like that? But like you get like you get like filed, you know, by like yeah. being in between like a rock and a hard place uh, sometimes. Um, so there's that to take away from that. Um, you mentioned a little bit about. Um, family and friends sending photos of nature uh, and things like that. And you did mention it a little bit, but um, for people who are maybe interested in helping the incarcerated population learn more about paganism, get access to tools and things like that, um, how can we um, get involved and how can we help um, in general, but especially if we are pagans and want to help bring you know, books or things like that into the system? Can can we do that and how? That's going to vary a lot depending on the state that you're in. Um, generally speaking, you can't just go drop books off um, because there could be secret messages in them. You might have hidden something in the pages. Prisons are very paranoid. Um, not that there's not sometimes a reason to be, but like it tends to border on like obsessive. Um, but what you can do is contact the chaplain um, prisons will always have a chaplain, usually a Christian one. You can contact some of the organizations I mentioned. They are listed. There's like a lot listed um, in the back of Paganism for Prisoners um, somewhere in here. There's a lot of organizations I mentioned, like, like all these guys. Um, you can reach out to them. Hey, what kinds of resources do you need? How can I, how can I help? Because they um, already have that rapport built up. You know, and in order to be even like a volunteer in prison, there's a process you have to go through. And if anybody's looking to be um, a volunteer, absolutely go through the steps. It's a little bit of a pain, but it gets easier the following years. But um, once you get approved, you can, you know, take classes in. You can um, have conversations with the warden or, or the director of programming like, hey, I want to bring in handouts. Can I send these to you and get these approved. Um, but like with books and things like that, it's better to either reach out to the organizations or contact the prisons directly and see what the best way for that to be is because they don't all have the, the same. Um, and there's also going to be different guidelines for minimum, medium and maximum security, state versus federal, private versus government. Luckily, private prisons are slowly but surely being forced to close their doors in a lot of states so that's a good thing um and that's really the the best way to do it i i wish there was like 
you know, oh, go to this website and, you know, send them in and all that. But we're not there yet. Um, but um, a lot of the organizations I mentioned, um, I know Christopher Penzak, his um, uh, Temple of Witchcraft, they do um, chaplaincy outreach, you know, so reaching out to some of these organizations and really asking them uh, what the best way to get involved is, is the first step. Oh, that's great. And, and some people might feel called to actual prison ministry because you mentioned being like a chaplain. What yeah. what is what does that mean exactly for folks who don't know that folks is me? Um, okay. What does it mean exactly to be a chaplain? And uh, what's that process like of, of getting to that um, that level? Does that mean you can now go into all the prisons and or just sort of what does that mean? Well, so in Colorado, uh, where I tried to get mine, it would have meant that I was approved to go into um, into prisons I had checked off. Um, it, I think I think I applied to be able to go into all of them. It was a couple years ago, so don't quote me on that. But um, it it essentially means that in, in the same way that Christians have chaplains who go in and like, let's say you had um, a loved one who just died you know, and you need to talk this out with somebody. It's providing that safe space that, you know, um, that listening ear, that, that guidance or, um, you know, having those workshops or, um, like the equivalent, (laughs) I remember, so Martin and Carrie who have since passed, but they were the, um, Wiccan chaplains who came in to my prisons and they would show us videos, you know, once a week on, Um, Greek gods and goddesses, you know, so it really kind of takes on a a few different roles, but the biggest one is being a supportive ear. Um, What it is not, okay, you cannot, and I wouldn't recommend this, even if you could, you can't like go and drop letters off for somebody, you know, it's, it's not that kind of exchange. It's mostly you and providing comfort for the person who's incarcerated or, you know, providing knowledge, um, you know, sometimes, you know, getting books in that kind of thing. Um, it, it's really rewarding. I like, I still like to say this, um, cause I, I'm trying to get involved here in the UK as well. Um, but I always like to say, I used to teach witchcraft to inmates and, there are a few things I've done in my life that have been as rewarding as that, you know, and I don't know to this day how many of them, you know, followed through or changed their lives or got out or, you know, any of that. And it doesn't really matter because for that one moment, you could see that they were being fed for the first time in their life. And that right there, that is something not a lot of people will have an opportunity to do. So that's, that's the heart of chaplaincy work for me. Mm, that's really beautiful. And I, I'm glad that you share that because I think for a lot of pagans, it it might not occur to us that doing some type of ministry is an alignment because paganism, uh, the different paths of it are typically very non-proselytizing. You know, mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of pagans that are like, I must go preach the gospel of my faith <laughs> and convert all these people to my way of thought. We're actually most often the very opposite of that. Right. Um, so I'm glad that you elaborate that that being a pagan chaplain is not so much about like trying to convert people or line people up for the life of witchcraft, but just to to be an ear for them, to be a shoulder to cry on, to be perhaps just a different 
different perspective, um, maybe someone that um, can listen to them with maybe less judgment, perhaps, um, than a chaplain or somebody coming from a different background uh, with a different moral compass or code of ethics. And, um, you know, so it's it's not necessarily about going into the prisons and trying to, like, make a bunch of witches or make people be pagan. Um, It's really about, like, helping people feed their souls and be there for them in, like, really difficult times. Well, and we wouldn't have to proselytize anyway because that the pagan face and that so it's northwest european pagan and a lot of them they just use that umbrella term but it's mm-hmm. um the face that are associated with it are the fastest growing faith groups in yes yeah it, like just monumental like doubling every couple of years and um you know, I do also want to mention that it's not just that the pagan inmates. Um, I had, you know, Christians in my classes. I had Catholics. I had people who were Jewish. I, um, you know, faiths I don't even know. But, like, mm-hmm. I always said that anybody was welcome as long as they could be respectful. Right. I, and I think that's another thing that's not seen in a lot of the groups. Like, um it's funny you mentioned earlier the bribery thing because uh, a lot of times what will happen is you know um, these big Christian organizations will come in and they'll have the cake and the pie and you know come to our event and you know we'll sing songs and all that and it's it's very easy to get people to come to that like you're giving me cake in prison I'm gonna come to that Um, but I've seen people choose to come to you know, learn about magical practices. You know, I've seen them sacrifice pizza and cake to come and get their spirit fed. Like, and that's- yeah, I've heard about that, which like blew my mind. But I, I was reading somewhere where someone was like, yeah, if you identify as Christian in the in this in this particular prison, then like on on Christmas and different things, like you get a feast in the lunchroom like in front of everybody else everybody else has to watch you have this feast um but like a lot of people would convert just because they got to have this like Mm -hmm. big feast you know certain times of the year so it's very uh that's that's very interesting um and but also very powerful that people would forgo that to be like you know what i need i need to be fed in a different way yeah it's it's beautiful to see it makes me a little misty-eyed actually thinking Mm -hmm. about it yeah, I, understandably, I think that, um, you know, being just being there for a person in that type of a way has to be really special. But when you've also lived it, you know, you not everyone who does prison outreach or ministry has actually been incarcerated themselves. So for you to have lived this experience and then be able to turn around and help the next person, um, I imagine is very um rewarding and um i'm glad that you went that route that route because i think it makes a difference for people to see someone who was standing in their shoes be like hey Mm -hmm. um this way of life really was really powerful for me and it might it might be powerful for you too yeah definitely and um and not only was it you know um a place i'd been before i went and taught at the prison i was at Wow. So like, I was in greens with those women, Wow, you know, and I think, and even if that's not your experience, that's okay. But it did, I, I think it allowed them to be like, oh my gosh, I can break this cycle. 
And mm -hmm. that's something when you're in prison that they don't, you don't really believe. Mm -hmm. it, like, I, I don't know anybody who's like, you know, I'm in prison, but I'm going to get out. And, you know, this isn't going to hold me down. More likely, it's like, oh, now I have felonies. I'm never going to be able to work in my field. How am I going to get my kids back? You know, how am I going to find a place to live? Oh, you know, and and it, we're seeing more people now, you know, get out of prison and do things like um addiction treatment mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it's a really good fit mm -hmm. and you know teaching and like but we're also seeing people overcome the barriers and and go into other fields like writing mm -hmm. and um you know becoming professors and slowly but surely laws are starting to change that are making life a little bit more accessible but it's not right away like there's still those years those painful years of parole yeah. where you know it's like i can't even tell you how long i worked retail it was mm -hmm. like i will never work retail again yeah. you know i worked retail so much um there's not a cash register on the planet i can't handle you know <laughs> and it's um you know and it's it's progress you know i needed those experiences too i mm -hmm. i needed the stepping stones because if i had just been thrown in from like getting out of prison to being on this podcast, I would be a completely different person. I needed all those things in between. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what we need to give people is the opportunity to like, to move and like slowly cycle. And, right. you know, that looks like a lot of different things, you know, like education and mental health being two of the biggest ones. If we could just take care of that for people, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, prisons would be so empty. Yeah, well, that's the problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, hello. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's the issue there. Yeah, the, the, um, that just like, I think the biggest thing that, that I have learned in the process of knowing someone who's justice involved is just that the idea that, uh, prison is supposed to be re rehabilitative and it's supposed to prepare you to emerge back into society is to total BS. Total, total BS. Everything mm. is structured to make it really difficult for you actually to re-enter society and yeah. rebuild your life. Um, and so uh, going into uh, the prison system, whether it's to, to be a chaplain, whether it's to make donations, whether it's to uh, provide outreach in some other way, all of these things might seem really small, um, but they're huge in terms of helping someone really have a solid foundation for when uh, when they get out so that there are things that they can explore work-wise and otherwise in their lives. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the, the parole transition period. So I want to remind people who are watching, all of our lovely Coven members, now is a good time to get your questions in uh, to the chat box. Um, but while people are getting their questions into the comments, I did want to talk about parole. Yeah. Um, and so I was hoping you could help me better understand the difference between parole and probation and maybe what are some of the limitations when you are on parole that might make it difficult to practice um, your pagan faith? Sure. So the, the biggest difference is people on parole have been to prison. That's, that's the biggest difference. Um, probation is like, 
for lack of better terminology, like lesser crimes, like you go to jail instead of sending you to do jail time, they put you on probation, Got you know? It. So it's like in lieu of a sentence, whereas okay. par parole is you've been to prison. Now we need you. Now we're transitioning you, out. Yeah. Now we're transitioning you out. Um, Got it. Um, wow. Parole, man. Um, <sighs> parole is a lot harder than prison, actually, for most people. Um, you know, I've touched on some of this before, but like, I, I'm going to give you a general view of what a week on parole looks like. So you get out of prison, they tell you, go to this parole office. Okay. Let's just assume you go stay at your mom's or your dad's or, you know, a friend's house. You have a stable place. Let's just make that assumption. All right. You go, you go to the parole office, you check in, you have to take classes that you have to pay for. UAs that you have to pay for. So it might be like two UAs a week, three classes a week. They're during the, the nine to five hours. So, um, you know, you have to consider this is going to impact your jobs, what jobs you can have. Because if you have a nine to five job, your employer has to be okay with you leaving to go take UAs. Or um, sometimes they'll have late night places across town where you can go take your UA late at night. Um, most people don't have a car when they get out. Um, people are lucky if they have a driver's license when they get out. So you're taking buses. Um, we, for those who have never taken mass transportation in America, oh my gosh, it's only good in like Chicago and New York. Like every other place it's, you know, if you miss your bus, you're waiting a half hour, you're waiting 45 minutes, you're waiting an hour. Um, you know, you go, uh, so Monday you check in with your PO, you know, Tuesday, Oh, got to go take a UA. Got to leave work early. Wednesday's my class. Okay. Well, that's already cleared with my boss. Ooh, phew. Thursday, I get to work a full day at work. Oh, Friday. There's my second UA. You have to be home by a certain curfew. You know, usually it's 10 or 11, like 10 on the weekdays, uh, 11 on the weekends. Um, you know, keep in mind, you're paying for those UAs, you're paying for those classes, they are not cheap. It's like $20 a UA, you know, and you're taking two of those a week, every single week. And then you've got your your substance abuse classes and all that you've got a um, sometimes there's extra stuff like you might still have community service to do that you also have to fit in. Um, you know, I went through like eight parole officers you know, um, nothing I did, just there's very high turnover rate. So um, like in my case, I ended up being on parole like three months longer than I was supposed to because they forgot I was there um, because they have such a high caseload, such a high turnover that they don't actually know you as a person. So this is where the challenges come in when you're pagan, right? So let's say I want special permission to be overnight at a place. You know, I want to go attend this festival you know, and all these pagan people are going to be there. So not only does my parole officer who I've had for a week and a half, not really know me that well, they only have these, these files and case notes to go by, but most of them don't know what paganism is, you know, and paganism has this, um, these associations of, you know, drug use and alcohol and, and, um, you know, to a certain extent, part of that's true, part of it's not, but that's neither here nor there. And so, you know, you go in and you ask the parole officer, you know, you have to get permission. And um, yeah, and you know, it's either a yes or a no, but that decision 
is based on, you know, this file that they have for you. And, you know, have you been making your UAs? You know, a, a missed UA, if you're late and the UA place closes, that's a hot UA. That's a dirty UA. And uh, just automatically. And so, you know, when you throw in the factors of making low wages, paying for the classes, taking public transportation, you know, maybe trying to spend time with your kids, trying to get your family back in order, you, you know, it's a lot. You just went from sitting in a cell, right, where you wake up, you know, you go, you do your job, you can go back to sleep or you can read books or whatever, you know, and you, then you go to your next meal and, you know, you wash and you rinse and you repeat to having to get all this stuff done. And meanwhile, consider that like 75% of the prison population has at least substance abuse issues, you know, even if that's not what their crime is. It's related. Right. And, and mental health issues. So like, how are you supposed to find time to get to treat your mental health, treat, treat your substance abuse, find a place to live, find a job, go to these meetings, take your UAs. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting overwhelmed just talking about it. No, I was like, I was getting exhausted as you were talking, just trying yeah. to wrap my head around how that would be possible and trying to figure out like, okay, well, what jobs could I work if I've got to be home? But like, cause I bartended for 15 years and that was always like, Oh, my you can't do that. What? You can't work at places that serve alcohol. Okay. Well, there goes my, <laughs> I mean, cause like that, that was always my fallback in college. Whenever I needed a job, it was okay. I'll go back to bartending. Let me grab a bartending job. Mm -hmm. No problem. But I live in New York City where most bars close at four in the morning. So the curfew would, if I were even allowed, the curfew would already be a problem. Um, yeah, I just, wow. So Missy is asking, what was the most creative thing you did or items you used to do your witchery? Mm. Most of my witchery was done in here. Mm. And I think that's pretty creative. Um, because I couldn't yeah, cast sure. circle. Um, I cast circle in my head. Like, and I did everything. Like, I closed my eyes. I lit my candles. I, I went to all four corners and lit my candles and, you know, cast circle and called to the gods and everything. I just, I visualized everything. So um, my artistic ability, ugh, like I can't even draw a stick figure without it being all curvy. <laughs> right. you know? so, so that's not my strong suit, you know, like yeah. there's some incredibly talented artists um, who are locked up, you know, I'm just not one of them. Um, but yeah, so everything I did, um, I did, visually I did in my head I did you know I took the concept of meditation and made spells out of it um uh, Missy also wants to know what is something in your practice you feel you would not have learned or experienced had it not been for being incarcerated oh I attribute my whole priestess path to being in prison because I got out and I was determined to find a teacher and I found a teacher and then like I got my, my first degree and my second degree. And then, you know, I found, I got my third degree and all of this happened because I had those surrender moments. Well, when I was in prison, I had those moments of just like social media didn't matter. Like nothing mattered. All you have is you. Like really when you get down to the nuts and bolts, even if people are writing you letters and you have you. 
and you know that's that's among the many things I learned from that experience. That's really powerful that that your high priestess path um, was so impacted and informed by being incarcerated. And um, I'm definitely um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you went through that experience because I'm grateful that you are out in the world as a high priestess, that you can be there to teach others and bring community to others. And um, I want to encourage everybody who's listening, who's watching, uh, to also give some thought to that. Give some thought to the incarcerated population, our fellow pagan brothers and sisters who are locked up and having a hard time. Um, consider donating, considering outreach, um, consider you know, reaching out to that community in some ways, because um, there may be an Awen there um, waiting to hear what what we have to share um, and open themselves to a different lifestyle. Um, so I want to say thank you so, so much for spending this time with me today. I could talk to you about this <laughs> all day long. I know, um, right? It's my favorite thing to do. This is my yeah. favorite part of being an author, actually, right here. So yeah, I can imagine <laughs> that because like people will ask me and they'll be like, I'm sorry, I have a silly question about witchcraft. And I'll be like, no, this is what I like to do. Yes. I like to sit around and talk about witchcraft and paganism. Yeah, um, please, ask. Yeah. please ask. So I, I'm so grateful that you took the time to spend with us. I feel like everyone who's listened, who's tuned in, really has a much better understanding of the realities of being incarcerated um, and some of the challenges um, and maybe some of the, the hidden beauties um, of pursuing a pagan lifestyle while incarcerated. So thank you so much for sharing all this information. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to uh, make themselves aware of the next project that you're working on, I know you have another book in the works. Um, where where can folks uh, follow you and what should we be paying attention uh, for? So I'm most active on Instagram, um, all and on. Um, I'm also on Twitter, um, all and on. Facebook, all and on official. That's a whole nother story why it's different, but we're not going to go into that. Um, I also have a website, awendon.com. I am open for bookings. Like, um, I love to speak. I love to public speak. I am in the UK, but I'm willing to travel. So um, there is a contact me form on my website. You can always contact me through there. Um, I also have a publicist you can reach out to, you know, through Llewellyn. So there's lots of ways to get a hold of me, but... um, you know, shoot me a message and I'll just, I'll be super happy that it's not like, let me advertise your, you know, that it's not a spammy message. That'll be like, Oh my gosh, I would love to talk to you. And um, yeah. So I am always happy to hear from people who are either impacted directly or indirectly, or, you know, had some epiphany moment because of my work. Cause that's, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing all that with us, folks. Definitely make sure to reach out to Awen, go and follow her on her different platforms. Um, stay in touch, stay tuned. Make sure to grab yourself a copy. Yes, yeah, so pay- let's show those beautiful covers again Paganism for Prisoners and Paganism on Parole. Um, both fantastic books. Grab yourself copies, educate yourselves on these topics. Um, I feel like uh, your writing in particular is really helpful to folks 
because you may not find yourself actually incarcerated in the criminal justice system, but you may be limited in other ways. And so Alwyn's books are great for you too, because um, she explores lots of ways for you to connect with nature, connect with the gods um, in ways that are creative, maybe out of the box that might help you overcome the challenges of not having a lot of resources or community, etc. So I really recommend these books to absolutely anyone. Uh, but you may consider donating them as well. Um, like Alwyn shared, there are programs that you can get involved with to help send books into the prisons, help send materials into the prisons. And I certainly think that this, uh, both of these books should be available to, to every single prisoner everywhere. So let's, let's help make that happen and reach out to some of these organizations that are doing things like that. Um, and I want to thank you so much, Alwyn, for all the knowledge that you shared with everyone, all of the insights that you shared, because when we know better, we witch better. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you, witches, for tuning in to another episode of the Better Witch Podcast. New episodes air on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bronx Witch Coven YouTube channel and your favorite podcast platforms. No matter where you're tuning in from, we want to know what you think about today's episode. So make sure to leave us a review wherever you are. A special thank you to Bronx Witch Coven members whose membership makes this episode possible. If you'd like to tune in to the live recording sessions, watch the behind-the-scenes footage, and participate in the Q&A for future episodes, consider joining the Bronx Switch Coven. You can support this podcast by grabbing some sweet merch over in the Bronx Switch merch shop, sponsoring an episode with an ad spot, or following us on Instagram at Better Witch Podcast. Remember, witches, when we know better, we witch better. I'll see you in the next episode. Blessed be. Mm-hmm.